This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherise Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Kosher hot cross buns. Halal Easter eggs. Yep, you can get both during Easter at some of our shops. You can also get kosher mince pies and halal Christmas puddings in December. It's one of the reasons I love being South African. But other than to allow us to enjoy our Christian friends' traditional food, what do these certifications actually mean? To explore this, the third in a series of four in the similarities and differences between Islam and Judaism, I'm joined by Rabbi Ramon Woodmont and Muhammad Nur Nudin. Rabbi Ramon is the Dean of the Academy of Jewish Thought and Learning, and Muhammad Nur is a thought leader and risk analyst. Gentlemen, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us and, uh, you know, continuing with the series. Thank you so much, Elise. Reverend Moon, we could be talking about a whole host of different themes today, be it Jewish and Muslim burial or charity. But dietary requirements is one of those that really define religious practice. Can you tell me a little bit about kashrut? So the word kashrut uh, comes from the Hebrew word kosher, which means fit, fit for purpose. And in many ways, it's part of a, a broader system which really deals with how we enjoy the world and the balance we create for ourselves between engaging in this world on the one hand and on the other hand um, ensuring that we do not allow ourselves to be overtaken by our basic instincts so the in a very profound in a very profound way um, Judaism looks at our enjoyment of the physical world is something that's positive as long as it's not for enjoyment's sake alone, as long as it is very much rooted in, in, in a, in a higher purpose. And that's not to say that enjoyment isn't a higher purpose because, uh, we, we generally believe that, uh, God created us out of love and therefore the enjoyment is good and, and being aware of that is a positive virtue. So when it comes to food, which is, of course, at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We, we're forced to ask, you know, do we live by bread alone? Are we just about pursuing our basest instincts and consume, consume, consume? Or, or are there boundaries? And, uh, Maimonides very famously, um, very famously paints the picture of a personality that is overtaken by its basest instincts and unable to make free choices. And to a large extent, um, Kashrut is about training ourselves to be free so that we are the ones that are choosing, not our stomachs. And of course, this is a metaphor for all, for all of physical enjoyment, whether it's sexual enjoyment, whether it's food. Uh, the question is who is really free? And, uh, I think the Torah paints a picture of people who are free as people who have the ability to choose and who have the ability to override their instincts when necessary and who are aware and are poised and are balanced between their moral their moral their moral their moral code and their bodily needs and the societal needs and individuals and having that all balanced and then being able to choose which you wish to take is is really the aim of it from top to bottom what we eat and how we eat it is very uh, it's defining of Judaism to what extent is it the same in uh, Islam Muhammad Nur thank you Shiriz. I think, uh, not I think, in Islam, we, we, we have uh, a similar concept, which is halal. Uh, and halal in, in Islam also exists in the opposite of a concept that's called haram. So permissible and non-permissible. So 
you know, transactions or transactions which are permissible, transactions which are not permissible, foods which are permissible, foods which are not permissible, are they very clearly defined. And 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 how Islam looks at looks at it is that you know halal or haram, permissible or non-permissible, is a very very direct instruction uh, that comes from the text, that comes from the Quran, that comes from the Hadith, and the jurists of course would would formulate opinions on what is halal, what is not halal, etc. Uh, and halal of course means permissible. Uh, it me, uh, and haram means non-permissible. And what we and and, and 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 it is also connected to piety. It is connected to obedience. Uh, of the creator, that is the creator who created you, who then instructs you, you know, what it is you can consume, how you should consume it, how you should prepare it, this is in foods. And then the, con- the, the creator will also then uh, uh, dictate to you, you know, uh, when it comes to transactions, which transactions are permissible, which are not permissible, and so forth. This, of course, comes with the Quran, the Sunnah, the Hadith, and, 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 and the opinions which legalists and jurists formulate as you go down. You know, it, with halal, there are other concepts which are very important, some of which are within the Qur'an, some of which are within other, within other texts of the religion, such as wasting, you know. The Qur'an is very clear, you know. Eat and drink and do not waste. Allah does not love those who waste. So, you know, when it comes to the environment around consuming, the environment around eating, uh, when it looks at consumption of alcohol, you know, uh, wine, I mean, them days there was no alcohol, there was wine and, and, and so forth, Concept of alcohol came much later, or the, or the technical word that for, for something called alcohol. Anyways, uh, Islam looks at that also you know, from a very holistic uh, perspective. So I think that from Islam and Judaism, the way I look at it, you know, it's it's focused on wholesomeness. It's all it's it's focused on what is good, and it's also focused halal is a con- it's it's a continuity of the relation between the created and the creator, and how even in consuming. Uh, you are still fulfilling your obedience uh, to, 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 to your creator in the way in which you dictated how you, sh- how you should engage and what you should consume and not consume. So our series is called Abraham's Children, and it looks at similarities and differences. Um, Muhammad Nur, you pointed to uh, wine. Obviously, uh, alcohol is forbidden in in Islam. Um, R- Rabbi Woodmont, uh, Judaism has, a, I think, a... a complicated relationship with alcohol but before we go into that i just wonder i mean the other thing that unites us of course is not eating pork why do you think there are these similarities and differences in the way the religions have evolved i think if we look at the framework of the laws of kashrut in judaism in in the torah so uh, islam of course accepts the the torahs uh, coming from a prophet from from moses and uh, much of islam therefore evolves out of that space. So I think that would, in many ways, explain many of the similarities. Um, I think when we look at the structure, so the, in, in Judaism, in the Torah, there are a number of, uh, there are a number of different components to the Kashrut space. The first, the first major divisions are between, um, meat eating and non-meat eating. And, uh, this already traces back all the way to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. Are placed in an environment where they are vegetarians, and consumption of meat is not allowed initially. And there's a tremendous hesitance in the Torah expressed towards allowing human beings to overconsume, to take life in order to to support themselves. There's a tremendous sensitivity to that. 
um, tremendous sensitivity to the idea that, you know, we could kill an animal to support ourselves. And therefore, there are many laws around the slaughter of animals and thereafter the consumption of the meat and ensuring that there's no blood involved with that as, as well. Um, and in many ways, um, Islam, I think, uh, pick, picks up on this as well and has a large number of large number of very similar restrictions and rules about slaughtering and consumption of meat. Um, similarly, we, there are certain animals which may not be consumed, and uh, most of most of those, from the Torah's perspective, are going to be carnivores um, and uh, and insects and uh, and reptiles, and that's also quite similar. In general, uh, the Torah's restrictions are more extensive in in kashrut than uh, than Islam's, as you mentioned before. The one major difference is. Uh, intoxicants uh, of all colors from uh, from a Muslim perspective, whereas from a Jewish perspective, um, most most alcohols are fine. Uh, wine, in particular, has a, a a large set of restrictions on how how it needs to be produced and consumed, and it's treated with a particular reverence and veneration, and we use it and and almost. Uh, almost ensure that it's used at, at particularly important moments in Jewish life and in the Jewish life cycle. And then finally, when it comes to certain, to, to, to vegetables, even there, one has to be sure that they are firstly clean of insects, but secondly, uh, certain types of vegetation, particularly those grown in the land of Israel, have additional restrictions on them because you have to remove tithes um, to be given to the poor and others. And the and and one is forbidden to consume that veg that veg that those vegetables and those crops until those tires are removed. And every seventh year is uh, the shemitah year, um, the, the 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 sabbatical year where one may not uh, harvest one's fruits and vegetables regularly, and and that year's fruit and produce have a high level of sanctity. Of course, the very famous. Very well known restriction is of the combination of milk and meat, the cooking of milk and meat and the consumption of milk and meat together, which is, is quite exceptional because it's the only combination in that way that's, that's not allowed. So the, 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 the really wide angle view on the laws, it's, it is quite, uh, it is quite extensive in, uh, in Torah law. Mamba Nuro, uh, further comments on that before we change tack? Let me just illustrate and say that me personally as a Muslim, and I know many Muslims when we travel around the world, um, when we can't find halal, and sometimes uh, we, we just conveniently we would, we would eat kosher. And the reason is for exact that very pragmatic and uh, practical uh, difference, and that is that kosher, you know, eliminates so many elements. Uh, and hence for us, it's extremely safe to consume kosher. And to be honest with you, I, I have a lot of faith in, in kosher certification. You know, I mean, religious organizations, when they certify, you know, I really have faith in, in, in these institutions. So when I eat something that's kosher, whether it be in New York, whether it be in, in Washington, anywhere in the world, or I'm at an airport somewhere and there's something kosher, I automatically go to it because I know it's extremely restrictive. I never knew it was in this detail as what the rabbi uh, uh, had, uh, had mentioned now. Uh, and I think, you know, again, it's very interesting how technical uh, this halal concept is and how similar it is in, in the fact that it's technical to, to being kosher. As Rabbi said, you know, uh, carnivores, uh, we, can't, we can't eat, um, you know, insects, uh, animals of, of prey. Uh, you know, and, 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 uh, and halal also, of course, goes to the way in which the, the, the animal is slaughtered. So in Islam, uh, there are certain animals which are not permissible. That makes it haram, whichever, let's say, let's say a carnivore. But then even an animal which is permissible, let's say a cow or a goat or a sheep, 
the animal itself is halal. But there's another level of halal because it has to be slaughtered and killed in a, and prepared in a specific way. So these different levels of, of technicalities, I think it's def- definitely in, it's interesting how, we, you know, how, 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 how similar the two uh, 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 religions are. We're going to take a break now. Before we take the break, let me just let you all know that while this is the third of four discussions we're having, this is not the final one, there will be a live Zoom webinar that will be held on the 13th of December at 7.30. If you have any questions or you would like to register for it, you can do so at info at the after the break, we're going to look about the, look at the social aspects around food. This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharif Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back to Jewish Board Talk. I'm Sharif Zephard, and I'm talking to Rabbi Rahman Woodmond and Mohammed Nur Nordin, and we are talking about differences and similarities in dietary practices, specifically around kosher and halal. Uh, obviously, there's a social aspect to uh, religious dietary laws. Um, Rabbi, to what extent do you think these are in, around to ensure that people stick together? It's something that is raised openly um, in, in the writings of, of Torah sages, that in many ways certain foods are part of creating our shared consciousness. And it's explicitly used. So, for example, the most famous festival in the Jewish calendar celebrated around food is, of course, Pesach, the coming out of Egypt and the the remembrance of that coming out of Egypt when everyone sits around their table as a family and, and reminisces and relives the idea that we were in slavery and that God redeemed us and we eat the bitter herbs and we, we eat this flattened bread, this matzah, and we, we taste what we went through. Now that's a very clear example of the use of food to create a, a complex societal matrix. It's not just food. That food joins us together. It reminds us. It binds us. It, uh, it allows one generation to pass something on to the next generation and across time and space. So it's a very clear uh, tool used by the Torah in order to teach us certain things. And in the Jewish world, that's expanded. So every festival will have, in each different community, will have its own foods. Um, on the festival of Shavuot, in certain communities, people eat cheesecake uh, and milk products and not meat products at the, in the initial part of the meal. And each each of the times that we go through, and every week, in fact, um, we use those. So we mentioned before wine, which is used at the the inception and in the at the exit of our Sabbath. These are things that they tastes that bind us together, that create our sense of community. On a Friday night, the kids will go into shul, and they all get that little little glass of grape juice. That, that is a, a deeply associative, profound way of generating cultural consciousness. So it, we definitely do it. When it comes to certain restrictions like kashrut and the restrictions around um, wine in particular, there's no doubt that there's, there's social elements over there, and some of the commentators speak about that openly, that it is a way to keep Jewish people together because it's very difficult to find a place to have um, to find a place to have uh, kosher, kosher food otherwise. And it, and I think the point of it is to create a context. As we mentioned earlier, 
food and enjoyment within the Jewish space is meant to be looked at as something which isn't just done for enjoyment or titillation, but for a positive reason, to serve God, to keep oneself strong, to create a positive social environment, not just purely for fulfilling my banal desire to be hedonistic. And when you have to have kosher foods and, and look after all these details, by definition, it creates that type of context. So you don't just feel hungry and walk into the closest restaurant and eat whatever comes to mind. You have to prepare for it. And that preparation really, as we mentioned before, allows one to exert one's control, one's thought over how one eats, what one will eat, how much, and, and to moderate one's consumption. And then it creates a social environment where everyone inside there is doing the same thing. Mohammed Nur. Uh, thanks, Sheriz. I think it's not, Islam is quite different in, 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 uh, in, uh, when it comes to the concept of, of, of food being, uh, critical to the identity of the faith. And it's probably because, and I, I'm treading on, on thin ice here, uh, but of course, you know, uh, Judaism is, 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 is much different to Islam in that Judaism to an extent is founded or identity, the identity of the people, uh, the ethnicity, all of that, it's a very big narrative, a very big part of, of what forms Judaism. Whereas in Islam, you know, we, we are a combination of multi-ethnicities. And what makes Islam uh, so vast is the fact that, you know, you know, they find Islam geographically vast and the implementation of Islam is vast. And there's no quote-unquote ethnicity that, 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 that's connected to Islam with, with, which, which was exported or which is exported. Uh, and, and which we are attached to. And so Muslims consume different types of foods around the world, etc. And the other interesting thing is, you know, that the issue of halal has probably become an, a part of Muslim identity recently. Uh, I would think that in, you know, up till maybe the 1800s, early 1900s, the issue of halal was something that was very naturally implemented and lived by Muslims in majority Muslim countries such as your the Middle East, North Africa, parts of Asia. But as there are more Muslims in quote-unquote the diaspora in the West, in Europe and so forth, then the creation of an establishment of halal certification it then became, I would call, a new part, a very modern part of Muslim identity. So I doubt if you came in the 1800s you would find something called halal certification, even in a halal uh, itself, place itself halal foods. People knew that this butcher sells halal food, halal meat, etc., etc. Uh, the contamination, the cross-contamination of, of, of foods and the existence of, of, of non-halal products uh, in, in mainstream products, you know, uh, manufacturing, of course, and of food and beverages was not where it is today. So the, the, the creation of halal certification and that forming part of a Muslim identity, I think it's become very new in the way in which it is viewed, uh, which it is, is viewed today. From an Islamic perspective, you know, of food, going back to the first point, food is not that central to our faith. We do not have ceremonies on which we are obliged or in which we traditionally carry certain types of food. Maybe during the fast, when we break the fast in Ramadan, it is traditional part of the Prophet's practice to have a date and water. That would probably be it. Uh, there would be encouragement to have food on the days of Eid and to eat. But what types of food? how they are eaten, when they are eaten, the fact that is not stipulated at all. So I think, you know, this, uh, the, the issue of certain types of food being central to ceremonies and central to, to, to practices and central to worship is probably very, it's interesting, very different 
between Islam and Judaism. What you say about um, authentication, how does uh, halal authentication work in in Islam or even in South Africa? Do you have lots of different bodies that do it, or do you have one central one? In South Africa, we have we have new. New, when I say numerous, I say numerous with, with, with restriction. I mean, there's probably four or five, not, 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 not more than, not more than ten maybe, but I think probably four or five that I can think of. Uh, and, and these are, and these are, uh, are, are boards of, of scholars, uh, who, uh, who engage with, 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 with technical experts and then approach certain manufacturing plants like your Simbas of the world, your, 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 your chicken manufacturers and, and, and your abattoirs and so forth. And they would then, um, you know, have a technical personnel who supervise and who engage and based on fulfilling certain criteria, uh, they would issue the halal certification. That's more or less how it works. But in South Africa, we have approximately three or four main uh, uh, Islamic uh, or halal authorization entities. I think it's... Uh, it's uh, MJC, uh, Jamaat al-Ulama, and I think it's IKSA, and maybe one or two others. Uh, but they're all similar, in, uh, almost identical in what they do. It's just some of them might be more regional-based as institutions. Uh, but these certifications, of course, are for mostly national companies like your Simbas of the world and, and Rainbow Chickens and so forth, or maybe even smaller uh, 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 um, um, retail outlets. But, of course, I mean, it's very interesting when you talk about this. So you, you can have uh, – you can uh, – Back to the issue of how the halal works, and you can have uh, a store and all the meat and every product in the store is certified halal. But the store might sell alcohol, so someone might not consume the alcohol in the store. If I go into someone consume alcohol, but the store itself will not receive a halal certification because the store cons- uh, sells alcohol, and they believe then that there might be some contamination of the alcohol when you're washing the dishes, etc. So it reaches levels of real cumbersome. Technicalities, uh, and and this just shows, you know, again how technical it is, uh, and and how strict some of these laws, or rules of, of of halal are. It's absolutely fascinating. Would you like the last word? Things that um, Mohammed mentioned was the, I think the spread of uh, you know of juice throughout the world and ethnicity. Uh, really, ethnicity from our perspective doesn't play much of a role. Um, Judaism is is a religion. And, uh, we, we really, we've occupied the widest diaspora, uh, being spread to all four corners of the earth, um, around the world. So I think when it, when it comes to our, uh, our identity around the foods, um, there'll be some basics, some basic stuff, but each community, wherever it's lived, similar to what Muhammad described, you know, really developed its own customs. Uh, one of the, the major divides between the two are, uh, the communities that were exiled landed up in uh, Spain, North Africa. Um, those are, are called the Sephardi communities. Sephardi means Spain, Spanish. Um, and uh, subsequent then to the later Spanish expulsion in 1492, they ended up in Greece and in Turkey and in Rhodes and in other places like that. And they had their own their own uh, foods in the in the in the in the Spanish communities that come from and that retain these traditions. They are incredibly unique and amazing, totally different from from any other Jewish community. And then there's Jewish communities that lived in very poor parts of Europe, uh, Poland, Lithuania, where the Jewish communities were so impoverished that they had to eat really really cheap foods because that's all they could afford. So the, that's where your herring comes from. 
from communities who lived close to seas where herrings were caught in abundance and it was the cheapest fish. Uh, and in some of the communities, they were so poor that all that they could afford were the hooves of cows. So they eat stuff made from cow hooves, which uh, it, sh- it really requires a very, very developed palate. Um, but in all places, you know, in every country, Jews ad- 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 adopted and adapted the, the local foods as well. Um, but as, as I said, though, there are some core, some core foods, wine, matzah, stuff like that. That's part of our rituals that, you know, all of us use. Some might argue that gefilte fish also needs a very sophisticated palate. But on that note, <laughs> I'm <going to> say, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, that was Rav Ramon, Rav, uh, Woodmont, uh, Rav Ramon Woodmont from the, the Dean of the Academy of Jewish Thought and Learning and Mohammed Noor thought leader, risk analyst, and social commentator. And we're looking at the differences and similarities between Islam and Judaism. Next week is the final in the series, and we're looking at philosophy. But it will not be the last of the discussions. If you have any questions for Muhammad Noor or Ravraman, please send them to info at theacademy.org.za. Your questions will be answered in a live Zoom webinar on the 13th of December at 7.30. And the details for that is also available on the email info at theacademy.org.za. Gentlemen, thank you. And I look forward to our discussion next week. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much, Shiris.